1 Corinthians chapter 16, the very last few comments the Apostle Paul makes to the church in Corinth. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one of these black ones in the seat back in front of you or somewhere near you, and we're going to be on page 1022. So I'd uh, love for you to turn there with me as we study for the last time, well, I mean, it's all connected, so it's not like we can't come back and, and reference, but for the last time in this series, the letter to the Corinthians. So uh, let me pray and thank God both for his faithfulness, uh, getting us through, um, and for your steadfastness and faithfulness. This is not an easy letter. In fact, as I, as I study it, I realize how few pastors actually try to tackle this letter. Uh, because it is challenging. It's long, the longest letter in the New Testament, and it's also um, really challenging. So thanks for being in it with us. So let's just thank God for giving us the energy for that. Father God, thank you for this word that you've given to us through the Apostle Paul and um, by your Spirit, God. And we know that these words are inspired because uh, when we read them, it does something to us. It changes us, and I do believe that we have been changed that you have transformed us by your word, that you have confirmed to us that the Spirit is with us and in us and pushing us towards the peculiar wisdom of Christ. And so we thank you for giving us that great gift. Uh, we pray, God, we know after a long series like this that um, we may even forget where we began. But by your great grace, would you give us uh, reminders on this finale of all the things that you've taught us Perhaps when we go from this morning, we might be able to share those with our friends and family, all the things about this letter that have stirred us up, uh, both to do good works, but more importantly, to a f the affection of your son, Jesus Christ, who gave everything that we might have new life, that we might have his mind, Corinthians says, that, that we might actually get to walk and be the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're so thankful for the wisdom uh, that's in this book and, and thank you for the energy to press through and um, to take us to the finish line. We know it's no small thing, God, and so um, I thank you for doing that for me. Uh, I thank you for doing that for Pastor Ryan. I thank you for doing that for each and every person here, God. This is not a one-way conversation, but a community conversation that we've been having about this precious word of God. So we thank you and we love you. And we ask for one last time in Corinthians that you'd open our eyes to see what you have for us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm starting to get sad. It's like praying. I was just getting sad. I, I've been waiting a long time to preach this book uh, because, as I've said, chapter 15 um, was the confirmation of my calling. And so... Uh, Let's finish strong, okay? You ready? Here we go. "'Twas a letter of love," is what I'm calling this sermon. And although Paul has, uh, he's hit us <laughs> over the head a few times with some, come on, guys uh, and gals, he's, he's, he's really writing in love. Do you believe that? I remember we talked about it at the very beginning. Go back to the very beginning of 1 Corinthians. Let's just remember how we started. So turn a few pages back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's just remember how Paul started, because we talked about the compliment sandwich that Paul does. You remember that? The compliment sandwich. So Paul, let me just read the beginning. Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Sothenes, our brother. So he's actually the scribe, and we'll see that'll be important this week. So he's calling out, he's got a scribe because he's got terrible handwriting, as most CEOs do. Okay. Lawyers, too. Watch out for the lawyers. Okay. To the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints. So he's calling them saints. He's reminding them of that they are holy and set apart. So it means to be a saint. With all those in every place who call on the name of the Lord. Again, at the beginning of the letter, he's talking about God's doing a thing, like we talked about last week, all over the world. And they get to just be a part of it in their city, in their town. So, in every place who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ both their Lord and ours, one Lord, one Spirit, one crucifixion, Paul will say, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you, 
because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech, in all knowledge. In this way, the testimony of Christ has confirmed among you, or was confirmed among you, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship, into fellowship with your fellow brothers and sisters, and into fellowship with God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's how he starts. <laughs> Let's see how he ends. Turn now to, to chapter 16. This is a letter of love. I mean, he does spend, you know, the next 14 chapters going at him <laughs> like a good big brother would. He's giving him tough love. He's being honest with him. But he comes back. Here's what he says. Chapter 16, verse 13. See if you see any of the same themes. Compliment sandwich. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia, and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I am delighted to have Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus present because these men have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize, honor, respect such persons. Churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers and the sisters send you greetings. Paul's writing from Ephesus. Everyone sends you greetings. And so he says, so greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay, everybody's excited to hear what I have to say about that. This greeting is on my own hand, Paul says. So now Paul transitions, and he says, the rest of the letter had really nice, uh, stylish writing, I'm sure. It's just like a work of art, a letter back then. It wasn't like texting or emailing. People take time. And so he had, remember, at the beginning, he had a scribe. He says, but I'm going to write this at the end so that you know it's me. And then the handwriting got really bad. <laughs> and he says, in my own hand, I, Paul, say this. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. O Lord, come. Remember what he said at the beginning? Until the revelation of the Lord at the end, he says, O Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. So that's it. That's how he ends. Now, if you've ever sort of like um, had just like you know, it's so weird now because we can send messages at any time if we forget to say something. But try to remember or pretend like you couldn't. And like, you, had, you know, a loved one's about to go overseas. Uh, maybe, maybe like a child is going on a study abroad or you're sending a friend off to be a missionary or move to a new city. And you're like, I only have a few things to say to you. And you're standing there at the airport and you're, you want to pump it in, <laughs> right? What would you say? So Paul believes that he's going to come to them again. But Paul doesn't know. He's very honest about that. He talked about that he talked about that last week. He thinks he's going to be able to come, but who knows? Who knows? His life's at risk all the time because of the work he's doing. He also doesn't know if God will call him elsewhere, because God's done that before. He thinks he's coming back. So, any, so anyhow, he's like, what are the last things? And so he gives them, this, this like section seems sort of like a farewell, but it's like, it's like a, that kind of farewell with that kind of friend. It's like, oh, so serious, Paul. Seven imperatives. So he uses the imperative form of, the verb, of a verb seven times. Imperatives like an urgent command, like you've got to do this. So it's like, I don't know if I'll see you again. Here's my seven commands. So we'll look at those today. And as I was thinking about it, and I, want you to, I don't want you to judge me when I tell you this. But... I created a little dance and a song for my boys. So I was like, should I share this with them? They might think I'm kind of weird. 
it's, they're little boys. It's fun for them. So this is what we do. We're drilling it into them. So it's like my seven imperatives. You want to see it? Okay. I'm so embarrassed. This is, this is like rare for me to get embarrassed. But I'm like, if I'm doing it with my boys and I'm embarrassed to do it publicly, I probably shouldn't be doing it with my boys in private, okay? Right? That's a good rule of life. Don't do the things in private that you wouldn't do in public. So here I'm going to do it. Okay. It goes like this. You ready? It goes, we are Evanger men. <laughs> and if I had a girl, I'll just change it. We are Evangers. That's my last name. And I say, we are strong. We are compassionate. We never back down. But we always listen. <laughs> so that, and every time, it's so funny. Every time I say, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh-huh. Um, every time I do that, when I get to end, we'll always listen. You just see the original sin in them come out. No, no, we don't listen. It's so funny. They like the being strong and all, you know, but the listening. So that's my final charge to my boys. When they go off to college, I'll probably do that dance with them. So, um, <laughs> I think actually they're very, fairly similar to what Paul is about to say. So let's look at the seven imperatives. How does he start? Verse 13. Be alert. Be alert. What does that mean? Uh, the ESV says, be watchful. So it, it's this idea of wake up. Wake up. Be aware of what's going on around you. Um, I've heard it said there's three kinds of people in the world. Those people who are aware, and they're the ones that get most of the things done in the world. Then the second kind of people is those who like to watch other people get things done in the world. And then most people are just completely unaware of what's being done in the world. So which one are you? Paul's saying, be the first. Be aware, be watchful, be alert. Be people who are engaged in the world. Not just floating through the world, drifting, totally unaware of what's going on around them. And the ways they're being moved or manipulated. Which one are you? Paul says, be alert, be the first kind. It's very loving to wake someone up. So Paul's been trying to do for 14. Waking them up. Do you not see what's going on here? Remember, there's been false teachers who have been creating divisions. Do you not see what they're trying to do? They're trying to get power by pitting you against each other. Be aware. Be awake. Wake up. What are you doing? So to wake someone up is loving. It could be startling. Do you try to wake up a friend? They're sort of just drifting through life, unaware of how they're being just sort of pawns in the game of life. incredibly loving to wake them up but it's startling and they they may slap you <laughs> like like when you wake somebody up and they're not like whoa hey <laughs> you know so it can be scary but it's loving turn turn back with me to to chapter 15 verse 34 this isn't the first time Paul said wake up chapter 15 verse 34 so just one page back Paul says this, Come to your senses and stop sinning. For some people are ignorant about God, and I say this to your shame. But it's not just about getting them to wake up, come to their senses. It's often will take you time. So it's not just shaking them and then letting it. Sometimes waking people up will take years and years. Um, you'll have to do detailed cultural and theological analysis. You'll have to be patient and articulate the state of affairs before they finally get it. This takes time. It's not just yelling into their ear with a bullhorn, though sometimes that's needed. If they're about to run out into the street, use the bullhorn. But oftentimes you'll need to lovingly come alongside them and help them see the ways in which they're just being manipulated and drifting through life. It takes Paul 14 chapters 
So it takes some time. That's an act of love, to sit with people in this stupor. If you've ever been the, the sober buddy after a party, it takes them a while for the drunkenness to wear off, to the stupor to turn into alertness. It takes a while. So don't, don't give up. Don't give up. Help them come to their senses. It's an act of love. Okay. Second imperative. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Don't leave the historic Orthodox gospel message of grace that you received, by which you were saved, by which you are being renewed. You, you know the life that's come by it, and, and when you feel like somebody's trying to take it away, hold firm. I was thinking about Owen. Like, Grayson's, there's going to be a lot of kid analogies. Just, just know. <laughs> just one of them days. Okay. Grayson's seven. Pretty big seven-year-old. Owen's just turned four. Pretty big four-year-old. Seven and four, big developmental gap. But I tell you what, watching Owen hold on to a ball when Grayson's trying to get it from him is one of the most amazing experiences. I mean, this kid has got a death grip. He's holding firm. No, brother. You're bigger, you're stronger, you've got more money, you've got more power. Six days a week you get to, but we will hold firm. And it's, it's an epic struggle. And Grayson usually, you know, he's usually the one that whimpers out at the end. <laughs> and Owen's like, ha <laughs> It's really fun to watch. That's what Paul's talking about. I mean, this is hard. Everything's going to come at you. You've got spiritual forces coming at you to knock you off the block. You've got the world and its motivations to change the way you think and behave and spend your money and all these things. Like, that's powerful. There's a lot of force behind that. And Paul's saying, all of these things are coming at you. Stand firm. Don't give up. This ball, this is your life. Both now and forevermore. Don't, don't sell that off for something just to make life a little easier. Stand firm in the faith, Paul says. Paul's not here talking, um, using a building metaphor. So he has talked about building one another up. and he, He's not using that here. He's using a military metaphor. This, a milita- like this word is used, speaking of a military. So he's saying, hold your ground. Do not retreat in the face of your enemies. Yes, you want to build one another up, but this is, there are times where it feels more like you're at war. This is what we're talking about here. When it feels like that, hold firm. It won't last forever. Remember what he's about to say. Come, Lord, come. Jesus is coming. Stand firm. And we've got to do this together. When we link arms, much harder to knock, knock us off the block. Okay. Paul's so serious. So serious. Well, I, guys, I don't know if I'll see you again. Stand firm. Don't give in. Third imperative. We haven't gotten very far. I mean, he's just ripping them out here. Be courageous. Now, for those of you who might be reading this in a different translation, the actual word says act, is act like men. That's the Greek word, act like men. Now, Paul isn't being sexist. He's just using a euphemism for courage. Right? So he's just saying, be adults. So, so he's, he's more comparing being like boys versus being like men. So he's saying, Put aside your childish ways and start acting like an adult. And so to help us, the, the CSB and other translations just translate that as courageous. Be courageous. So he's talking, I think, here to both men and women. Be courageous. Act like adults. Put, put away childish things. This is serious business. Be courageous. Grow up. Now he pairs this with another imperative. Be strong. Be strong. He's not just talking about physical strength. And when I say to my boys, we are strong, I'm not talking. I mean, I do this because it's a dance. 
But I'm talking about strong. It's an internal fortitude. And he pairs these together, I think, because in the Old Testament you see these two, courage and strength, paired together time and time again. Twenty times in the Old Testament, the Hebrew equivalents of these words are paired together. So be courageous and strong. Put on your big boy pants. Paul's saying, we got work to do. This isn't going to be easy. But you can do it. It's the same I'm saying to my boys. Like, this life's going to be hard. Be strong and courageous. I was thinking of just uh, a picture came to my mind of just a boxer sitting uh, in the corner of the ring. If you've ever watched boxing. Um, and in between rounds. And they sit down and they're just exhausted, right? Like some blood's coming out. And the coach will whisper in their ear. He's, he's, what does he say to them? The bell rings. He says, it's time. He gives them some coaching, which Paul's been doing for 14 chapters. Here's some ways to win this fight. But he says, it's time to stand up. It's time to fight. You've got this. That's what Paul's doing. He's whispering in there. You guys have got this. Don't give up. Let's go. Back in the fight. Don't run away. It could be so easy to run away. I mean, it's not always easy to be a Christian these days, this, this day and age. In a city like Seattle, it's, it's, it's not as easy. You can feel like you want to run. Paul's encouraging us. He says, stand up. You've got this. Not because you're alone, but that Christ is with you and his spirit is in you. And it's not you that works. It's not your power, but God's power working through you. You've got this. Stand up. Ah, I want to, I want to, I'll say this to you guys. Don't run from the fight. Don't look for it, but it's coming. And you can stand and hold firm and be courageous and strong. And God will be there with you. And it won't overwhelm you. And you won't be crushed. And you won't be alone. We're with you. Yeah, we got to come back to the corner at times and lick our wounds. <laughs> you know, you got the guy who does the cut. So, you know, glues the cut, literally. I mean, I got some glue, literally. Where's Andrew Barfoot? Andrew Barfoot, there was a thing of glue. This wasn't a trick. Sitting outside my office, and Andrew walks in and says, Somebody left glue. I didn't know what it was for until now. If you're cut and bruised from the battle, I got some glue in my office. <laughs> Just we'll glue it up. I'm sure it'll heal later. It will. You'll be fine. We'll glue that up. But that's, that's what the community is. We are a centering community. We come back together because we're out in the fight. It's tough. It's tough to hold firm to the faith. You feel like you want to run from it. But God's got you here for a reason. He's put you in Seattle for a reason. And he's given you community. He's given you a coach in the corner. He's given you glue so that you can keep on keeping on. Man, I love, I love just the simplicity of, of this <laughs> encouragement from Paul. He's given us 14 chapters of coaching. And now he's just saying, now we've got to apply it. Okay. But now... You may be like thinking to yourself, like, this just sounds like machoism, or I don't like how Christianity has all these war metaphors in it and all this stuff. Like, this is, this is the kind of stuff I want to get away from. Hold on. Paul says something very important next. What does he say? Verse 14. Now, in your alertness and your watchfulness and standing guard and being firm, and being courageous and being strong, acting like an adult. And all of that, getting back in the fight, and all of that, do everything in love. Imperative. Not optional. If you can't do those other things, think about my voice, and listen, then don't be strong. <laughs> don't never back down if you can't also listen. To love is to listen to see the person across from you, to actually want their best, to give something up for them. That's love. And the word for love here is agape. That'll be important in just a second. Agape, that's the kind of love God loves us with. It's an unconditional love. 
It's the kind of love that gifts something away without expecting something in return. If you can't be strong and courageous and never back down, stand firm, if you can't do that without having love, don't join the fight. I think that's what Paul's saying. We don't want those kind of people in the fight. Those are the kind of people that give us a bad name. Right? Can I get an amen? Like, stop messing with the name of Jesus. He does it in love. And if it's not in love, get out of the fight. Don't call yourself a Christian if you can't love. Sick of it. People saying, oh, every Christian I've ever met. No, every Christian you've seen on TV, all the Christians I know have tons of love. But if you don't got love, I don't care how macho you are, how strong you are, how, how good at arguing you are, I don't want you on my team. Sit the bench till you figure out what love is. Then you can come back in the game. Sick of it. If you do not have love, I don't want you to be strong. I want you to be weak. Because you are weak. And I know most of you aren't. You probably wouldn't be at Sedaris. <laughs> Send this, send this video to somebody who doesn't have love and tell them to shut up. Okay. <laughs> and if you got sent this video, and we still love you, but watch the rest of Corinthians. Okay, there we go. You gotta, it's got to cover all your bases on this stuff. Okay. You got to have love. So lest they accidentally step up and take initiative without putting on the garment of Christ, which is love, Paul reminds them that this is not negotiable. He's warning them. If you don't have love, don't stand up from that chair and keep fighting. Sometimes, this is, this is so important to me, sometimes, and I get it, I get it, I was there. Man, you get beaten down. Culture tells you you're crazy. Christianity's done nothing but bad in the world. That you're small-minded. So what do you want to do? You want to go find yourself a gladiator, strong enough to stand up to those bullies, right? So you go pick somebody who has something you don't have, which is a meanness about them. And you say, that's my pastor, because he's going to step in the ring for me. That's my gladiator. We put them out there. We celebrate them. They get big followings. They write books. We go to their churches. We put them up on a pedestal like, this is what it means to be a Christian. And then they show that they don't have love. And then we're embarrassed. Don't do that. I did that. Many people in this city have done that. It's very, very common. Because we're sick of getting picked on. So we go find the mean kid that happens to wear our colors. And we give him all the resources he needs to be mean for us. That's not what Jesus did. If you can't be strong and stand firm and be courageous without love, then you're not one of Jesus' people. Or at least you need to put on more Jesus. And we do this, don't we? We do it in the political world. Who's the biggest bully on the block that can stand up for our beliefs? And we put him in office. Sometimes it even works. We do it in the church, too. Let's not do it like this. That's what Paul's saying. There were people like that in Corinth. Really articulate. Go read 2 Corinthians. They call them the super apostles. Really good speakers, really good arguers. Probably had some political clout and some money. They had social standing. And people are like, maybe we should like back them because then Christianity would be respected. Paul's like, we worship a guy who was crucified. We don't need to look big and tough and strong and have all the money. We need to have that kind of love. It's so important. If you do not have love, then you don't have any of the other imperatives in the right way. Now, he goes on. And he's going to do what I, I like to call constructive name-dropping. You ever met people that like to name drop? And if all of you are saying, Dave, you do that, I apologize, because I, I realize I like to name drop. I mean, have you met this Pastor Ryan? I had lunch with him the other day. 
that's cool. But Paul's going to do some constructive name dropping. Let's see him do it. Verse 15. Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus? Remember him? They are the first fruits of Achaia, which is your region of, of Greece. And um, they've devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I'm delighted to have Stephanus, so he, he's, and Fortuneus, and Achaicus. These names kill me every time. They're, they're here. So probably what's happened is they're the ones who went to Ephesus and delivered the questions and the letters that Paul's now responding to in this letter. So they probably traveled there, and Paul spent some time with them, and he heard about what was going on. So, so he's calling them out, and he's saying, he spent some time with them. These are good men, he's saying. And, and he brings up, um, he brings up um, Stephanaeus because if you go read in Acts, that was the first convert in Corinth. So it says if you go read, I think it's Acts chapter 20, you go read about him, Paul comes to the city, starts to share in the synagogue, and then the synagogue, remember we talked about this at the beginning of the series, the synagogue doesn't want to have anything to do with him, so he goes next door to the Greek, and he's like, hey, can I start holding meetings in your house? And he's like, okay. And it's Stephanus that becomes the first convert. And then what happens is his whole household, which isn't just his kids, but also all the people that work for him. That was what a household was back then. So he starts sharing the gospel with his household, his servants, his, those who work for him, his family, and, and everybody is baptized, Acts 20 says. Meaning like, this guy really gets it. He knows how to love, even where there's social distinction. And everybody gets to hear the gospel and comes to faith and he disciples them. So you see what Paul's doing? He's like, this dude is worth following. You should, should submit to him. Not in like an overpowering way, but like you should follow his lead. He's, he's somebody, what is he doing? He's somebody that personifies all of these things I've just said about courage and strength and being steadfast in the faith. You see what I'm saying? So he's, he's name dropping. It's like, these are the kind of guys you should follow. And, and also, I've gotten to know these other guys who brought the letter. And the fact that they brought the letter and risked life and money to come and bring this letter from you and then I spent some time. So he's name dropping. He's like, when they come back, like these are the kind of guys, not the other people that have loud voices. These guys serve. You see what he says there? He doesn't say these guys are very smart or these guys have great um, oratory skills or these guys are really high standing in the society. What does he say about Stephanus? He says, he says they're devoted, they've devoted themselves to serving the saints. The saints are the church. They've devoted themselves to serving. That's why you should submit and follow them. Those are the kind of people that you should emulate and be like. They're the ones who work and labor for the Lord. I'm delighted with them. I just love that. He says, they've come. They've refreshed my spirit. I was missing you guys so much, but seeing them and being with them feels like I'm with you guys. What is he saying? They bring your true heart with them. They're great representatives of your community. Therefore, you should honor these people and respect them. And it says at the end of verse 18, recognize such people. That's the sixth imperative. Submit and recognize such people. So he's saying there are people in your community that you can emulate and follow. I can't get Shruthi's name out of my head, so I should just say it out loud. Shruthi. If you don't know Shruthi, follow Shruthi. Emulate Shruthi. She serves so well. Submit. Recognize her. Honor her. Respect her. Ask her, why is she so filled with that love? Okay, she's out of my head now. Moving on. Then he goes on, verse 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord. Now, Priscilla and Aquila had actually spent some time in Corinth with Paul. That might have been part of the reason Paul went there, because they were tent makers like Paul. And so it's the Isthmus Games, which are kind of like the Olympic Games in Athens. 
Corinth had the Isthmus Games, there's a small strip of land, and they'd have a very similar to the Olympics. So they need lots of tents for the Olympics out in the field. And so Paul made a living as a tent maker, and Aquila and Priscilla became Christians in Rome. They got persecuted. They were Jewish Christians. Um, the emperor kicked out all the Jews because they're blaming them for riots and things. And so they had to leave, and they came to Corinth. And they met Paul, and they worked together, both with their hands in tent making and with their hearts in the work of the gospel. And now Paul, that now Paul had sent them on to Ephesus, and Paul says, they, they greet you. So he's name-dropping. Remember Priscilla and Aquila? Those are the kind of people to be like. I just want to hammer this home. Like, if you're not introducing people through name dropping of like, these are people that model what Christ-like living is, you should try doing that. I do this all the time. Hey, have you met so-and-so? Yeah, I want you to meet them. I also want you to know that they are living in a way and acting in a way that's worthy of replication. That's what Paul's doing. He's like, it's one thing to tell you all the ways you're thinking wrongly. I've done that for 14 chapters. But at the end of the day, you've got to follow some people that can be trusted. Follow their lead. So I'm just name drop some. And the people in Corinth knew all these people. So now they can hold this person up against this person. Is their life the same, different, in what ways? Paul's name dropping. I love it. I love it. Um, I'll just point out too it's not a small thing that Paul name drops Priscilla that's not a small thing he didn't have to do it he could have just said Aquila and everybody would know he's talking about but he's, he's messing with the cultural norm I love that he's like I'm just going to drop Priscilla in here and he does it Priscilla comes up all the time he's honoring her he's respecting her he's lifting her up as a woman in a culture that no one did that. Love that. It's no small thing. It's almost hard for our modern mind to understand what a big deal that was. Okay. So he says, and the imperatives there, the sixth imperatives are to be subject, which is to follow their lead, and give recognition, which is to honor and respect them. Follow their example. Regardless, regardless of their social status, regardless of how much money they have, regardless of their title, regardless of their gender, follow their lead. I love that. If you don't know how to be a Christian, the best thing you can do is ask somebody who's been doing it for a while that you can see love and strength and courage holding firm to the faith. If you see all that in them, say, teach me how to be a Christian. Teach me what it means to follow the peculiar wisdom of Jesus. There's no better way. Sometimes you have to ask. Because sometimes people think you know. We live in a culture that just assumes everybody knows everything. It's okay not to know. You need to follow somebody's lead. Ask them, can you help me with this? And if somebody asks you, say yes. If they don't say yes, they're probably not somebody you want to follow. Okay, seventh imperative. Here's where it gets real juicy. You ready? So he goes, all the brothers and the sisters send you greetings. Again, Paul, like we said last week, go back and listen last week, reminding they're part of this much bigger thing than just what's happening in Corinth. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. A holy kiss. And a collective gasp. What's Dave? Is Dave coming at me? (laughs) This was common, and obviously still sort of common, and in more Eastern cultures um, and in Europe, right? You know, the French in particular. Oh, the French. Uh, All Paul's saying here is presence, tangible touch matters. Something about greeting one another when we see one another that connects us. Because, see, we're not just spirit. We're not just mind. We're also body. So when we come together, and we felt this, didn't we, during the pandemic, something spiritually that happens when we can't be near one another and we can't hug. I'm a hugger. 
some of you might not know it because I stopped hugging so much during the pandemic. But part of it is something happens. Like when me and my wife get in a fight. And I don't know if this is for all couples. But like there's no words I can do to break the tension that then exists after the fight. Especially like if we don't deal with it before we go to bed. Which is not always possible even though they say don't go to bed mad. Okay, that's going to happen if you're married. You're not doing something wrong. The next morning, what do you do, though? This is what I always do. I'm, there's nothing new I can probably say, so I go up to her, even if I'm the one that's more mad at her than, sh- than she is at me, and I'll just hug her. That's all I do. And this weird thing happens. It melts away. Why is that? What's going on? There's something that words cannot do that proximity, and even touch can do. And so, whether it's a holy kiss, or a holy hug, or a holy handshake, I mean, like, there's a way to do a handshake. Have you ever met somebody that gives you, like, a hand? Like, this happened to me yesterday at the memorial, or this, you could just tell godly woman came up to me and says, thank you for amazing service. And she grabbed my hand, and then she, like, didn't let go of my hand. And you're like, am I supposed, I mean, is how much squeeze do I <laughs> And she puts her other hand, and it was like, she was just blessing me. And I felt blessed. It wasn't just like a, hey, how are, there was some, like, she was, she was sending me spiritual blessing through this handshake. So powerful. She gets it. She was giving me a holy kiss. In a way that's appropriate for our time and our place and our culture. What are those ways? I would just say eye contact is one of those ways. To truly, when you, when you, when you greet somebody during the four-minute conversation, and you look them in the eye, Welcome. So glad that you're here. Like, there's a way to, to make your presence present to somebody. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, hug it out. Like, we are the family of God. Let's not let that tension permeate. We've got to figure out some ways. We've got to have some conversations. Sometimes it just takes a holy handshake. We're good, brother. We're good, sister. Mm, I love you. Look them in the eye. Greet one another. Press through the awkwardness. <laughs> now, um, what else can I say about that? Sort of like burying the hatchet I have in my notes here. Sometimes there's just some like in the church, we just need to bury the hatchet and be like, we're good. That's what Paul's getting at. There was, there was some real hostility in the church in Corinth. Paul says, that's not a good look. If someone comes into our dinner party, they'll be able to feel it. You ever, feel, you ever feel tension? Paul says, that's not unity in Christ. We need to bury the hatchet. Greet each other with the whole, like figure out a way. God has given us ways to relieve the tension It's not always through words. Sometimes it's through a holy handshake, a holy hug. Peace, openness. Let that be your state of mind when you come to the word of God. So we give you four minutes each week if you need to just go and hug somebody because you're not going to be able to focus on the word of God or worship him. Use that four minute. Go. Look them in the eye. Hold their hand. We're good. Something about the presence, the powerful presence of, of God that creates unity. That's what Paul's getting at. Okay. Plenty of time. Okay. <laughs> Everyone's like, no, you don't. Keep going. All right. <laughs> okay. Imagine that shock and bewilderment. Maybe, maybe you're not yet a Christian. We're so glad you're here. I hope what you sense in here, you're bewildered at all these different kinds of people, different ages, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic classes that all seem to really like each other. This is strange. And what? Men and women? Like I just told the story about a woman holding my hand. Wait, men and women? If you study like a hundred years after Paul wrote this, somebody was writing, um, there's a there's a writing from some Christian that was like, I think, misinterpreting 
the holy kiss thing and, and was like, um, what was his name? Athenagoras. And he was warning against punishment. <laughs> he was telling, I kind of like it a little bit, but he was telling people they can go to hell if their holy kisses became or, or came with the wrong motive. So why would you do that? It was clear that men and women were giving each other holy kisses. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to warn against doing it inappropriately. See, so like, like one, I like it because I'm like, don't use this as an opportunity to hug people of the opposite sex with the wrong motive. So I like that. But the whole hell thing, that's, like, that's probably not something we need to worry about. My point in bringing that up is men and women were also greeting one another with a holy kiss. That's incredibly culture-shaking, right? If it's not, maybe just ask some friends who aren't part of a church how many close friendships they have with people of the opposite sex. Because there's something that happens when you have the Spirit of God that you don't have to look at somebody of the opposite gender as the basis level, like a, a sexual opposite to me. This is incredible, especially in a culture in Greece where it was, it was messed up. People were using each other for all sorts of things. And to be able to do that, to give an actual kiss back then, and for it not to be weird, says something about how your heart has changed. Do you see what I'm saying? Like in a world, like, we like to, I, this is not in my notes, but like in our culture we like to celebrate how men and women are like on the same playing field. And I'm like, yeah, but men and women see each other as sexual objects in our culture more than maybe since the time of the Corinthians. That's not, that's not progress to me. That's de-evolution. And so in the church that we can have friends of the opposite sex and not see them as competition, not see them a sexual object, like that's bewildering more than I think we know. And only God can do that. But let's not miss that. That's incredible. It was clearly a part of the Christian church at the very beginning. Men and women living together, loving one another, and doing so with pure intention. How does the heart change so quickly? The Spirit of God. I don't want to miss that. Okay. So then Paul finishes with his own hand. Verse 21. The greeting is in my own hand. Paul, if anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. O Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus. So Paul finishes with a handwritten signature, which means these words, <laughs> classic Paul, a little bit of love, a little bit of thunder. They're weighty. He starts by saying, if anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Whew. Okay, anathema is the Greek word. And really what it means is a curse or you're as good as dead to me. Oof, Paul, that's the way you're going to end? I thought, it, I thought it was a letter of love. <laughs> well, it is. Seriously, it is. He says, if you do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, and you're part of our community, Now, if you compare that to the other places in scriptures, in scripture that talks about the blessing that comes with loving the Lord, you'd be really confused. I mean, there's so many blessings attached with loving the Lord. If you want to just go do a study of this on your own, you could write this in your notes. Go look at Romans 8:28. Go look at Ephesians 6:24. Go look at even in the own letter, 1 Corinthians. 2 9, 1 Corinthians 8 3. 
There's so many examples of if you, lo- like this is, um, this is a weighty conditional. If you love the Lord, then these are the blessings of that. And Paul says, but there's also curses if you do not. So Paul's always super honest. And this is a letter of love. Even this conclusion is a letter of love. Look at verse 14. Do all things in love. Look at verse 19. They give you hearty greeting, which is what? They send their love. Verse 20. Greet them with a holy kiss, a gesture of love. And then he finishes, of course, verse 24. My love be with you all. Now, if you go look up those verses I referenced, and you looked up in the Greek each and every one of these uh, other uh, expressions of love, the word that Paul uses is agape. But when he says, if you do not love the Lord, a curse be on you. There he uses a different word, phileia, or like Philadelphia, brotherly love. That's where Philadelphia comes from, brotherly love. If you do not love the Lord, like why would he do that? Like a verse uh, later, a sentence later he uses a different. And I've been thinking about that all week. I think it's intentional. It's definitely definitely intentional. But what is he getting at? I think this is what he's getting at. I think he's saying, listen, I'm not saying to be a part of our community to be in good standing, to be a part of the fellowship, to come to the love feast, as they were called, agape feast. We talked about that in 1 Corinthians. You don't have to be all the way there. You don't have to agape the Lord Jesus Christ. It's okay. There's room for you to be here and consider. So I'm not going to say you're cursed if you do not agape the Lord. But... There is not room for those who hate Jesus. For those who have heard and made up their mind and say, yeah, Jesus was a fraud. Jesus was a trickster. Jesus was just self-glorifying. Jesus was a lunatic, perhaps, or a liar, but not Lord. If that's where you're at, Paul says, I think you need to leave. And he's saying, you're missing out on the blessings. And instead comes cursing. And part of the curse is that you don't get to experience this love. So, well, Paul, why, why would he do that? Because there are people who take of the love of God. Who deep down have no even brotherly love for Jesus. So, I'm going to be very clear. If you're unsure of who Jesus is and you're here and you're, you're asking the question... Paul would say, you're welcome here. If you're considering for the first time or reconsidering, Paul would say, you're welcome. If you're confused, you're not quite sure, yes, be a part, join us, hang out as long as you need. There's so much patience and grace, like I said. But if you're unloving towards Jesus, if you use his name as a curse word, that's my brother. Like, I wouldn't let you use my sister Kaylee's name as a curse word and not get in your face. But how many people use the name of our brother Jesus as a curse word? You see what he's saying? He's saying, listen, there's not room for that. And there, were, there could have been people in the church that were doing that, but he's definitely making it clear. You'll be able to tell if they have brotherly love for our brother Jesus. So Paul, <laughs> I think this is important. This is our brother Yes, he's our Savior, and he's God, and yes, he can handle it, but he's also our brother, Scripture says. He's our friend. And if we don't have enough love for him that we can stand up for his name when people talk trash about him, especially if those people are hanging out with us at our table, what kind of brothers are we? What kind of sisters are we? I think that's what he's getting at. Like, we don't ha- like you don't have to be all the way there because it can take time to consider who Jesus is. I mean, but if you like to make fun of him and joke about him, and I'll say this, joke about his, his other brothers and sisters, Paul says, curse be on you. I think that's also why he uses this form of brotherly love. Because there's so much division that seems to be bubbling up that's been reported to him. And he's like, listen, to love Jesus is to love his family. 
And if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're always getting at them, if you're always criticizing them, you don't have any place in this family. If you don't have brotherly love for Jesus, we are the body of Jesus. We need to have love for one another. And if you don't have that, Paul's saying, anathema. was a letter of love. <laughs> He's loving us. He's saying, I don't want you to feel like you have to put up with that. That's not what it means to be like Christ. Christ already paid for that. Christ already let them kill him. We don't need to let one another kill one another. We need to love one another. So there may come a time, Paul says, if you're a divisive, angry, unloving person, and you don't love Jesus or his brothers and sisters, anathema. Whew! And then he uses an Aramaic word that's been translated in the CSB as, Oh, Lord, come. He uses Aramaic. It's like, sort of like the, the, um, the, the common tongue in the, the, the Near East. Um, it's not Greek. It's not Hebrew. Everybody spoke it, though. Even the Greeks uh, that were from Corinth would have understood it because it's probably in songs and hymns. It's this very sort of guttural, earthy kind of, Come, Jesus. We need you. <laughs> And part of what we need is for you to come and make us whole, make us united, and even judge those who hate you. So there is this come Jesus. Remember what he said at the very beginning of the letter? We wait for the revelation of Jesus, and he finishes with that. We can't wait until he comes. And our brother is here with us, and we can love him with all of our heart, and we can touch him, and we can hug him and greet him with a holy kiss. So he says, oh, Lord, come. Oh, if you don't get excited about that phrase. Maranatha is the, is the Aramaic. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. If that doesn't get you excited, ask yourself why. If you feel discomfort at the idea of Jesus coming, ask yourself why. If you feel comfort and excitement, join Paul. Come, Lord Jesus. Um, oh, Lord, please come. This is a great great prayer, a great way to end a service, a great way to end a, a dinner gathering. Oh, Lord Jesus, come, because this life is hard. And Paul ends with love. He says, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Agape love, unconditional love. He reminds them, we've said some hard things, we've pushed in some hard places, we've maybe, maybe ruffled some feathers, but it's all in love, unconditional love. I love you guys so much, Paul says. I love you not because you love me, but because Christ loves me. And I think this will be my final charge from 1 Corinthians. One of the ways we bring heaven to earth is by loving one another when we see one another. <laughs> Okay, so in heaven, this is what I think the reward is. That there's, I'm definitely going to die before Tylene. And Tylene's going to show up. And I'm going to be like, Tylene! <laughs> I guess so good to see you! You wouldn't believe what we've been up to up here. <laughs> think about that excitement. That's heaven. And it's going to happen with people you're like, Fred? Fred? <laughs> Let me be honest, Fred. I had no idea I'd be seeing you again. Okay, so, like, both are going to happen. It's going to be great. Like, the joy of that is unbelievable. That's heaven. And we bring that to earth when we see each other. When we see each other. So Paul's getting it. We see each other. When, when, when uh, Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus showed up with a letter, and he was like, Guys, I never knew if I'd see you again. This is amazing. You fill my heart. And then he's sending it back. Achilla and Priscilla, they can't be there with you, but they love you. See what I'm saying? Like, we can do this now. You're out at a restaurant, and you see a brother or sister in Christ. Don't ignore them because you're not sure if it's going to be awkward. Go be awkward. Go greet them with a holy handshake or a holy hug. Tell them how great it is to see them. You're at the grocery store and you see a brother or sister in Christ. Greet them. Bring heaven to earth. You're running Green Lake and you run by someone. Turn around and try to catch them. If you're too slow, yell really loud. 
Like, it's so good. I mean, I, I ran into the Akisis, Andrea and Urson, at the Dave Matthews concert. That was the most exciting part of the concert for me, seeing my brothers and sister, my brother and sister there. It's like, what? This is incredible. This giant concert, and we get to see you, and they bought me a beer. That was nice. But the greatness of the beer was really good, and the greatness of seeing them was better. You see what I'm getting at? Like, heaven on earth, this is amazing. Um, I remember, like, Ryan and Christy Farrell wouldn't be here if Allie hadn't run into them at the airport. When we first were moving to Denver, Allie was flying in, and she ran into Ryan and Christy at the airport. This was in 2010. And they had done ministry together at UC Boulder. And Allie was on staff, and they were students, and they ran in to each other. And it could have been awkward because they weren't supposed to date (laughs) while they were part of the college ministry. And they still claim to this day they weren't dating. But Allie saw them in the airport holding hands, and she was like, oh! And you know if you know Allie. But she went up to them and greeted them, and then it turns out we were going to the same church. Like, heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. So we do that. Back to the birds. This is the way we display the peculiar wisdom of Christ. The love we have for one another. That we're strong, we stick together, and we're courageous And we have so much joy when we see one another. Both when we gather, but also when we run into each other outside of this place. And it becomes so peculiar that the world says, what you've been drinking. And then we tell them about Jesus. Thank you, Paul. Let's pray.